listening to Our Wayward Life, a podcast about living life a bit differently. We're Natalie and Daniel, a married couple from Tennessee. In 2015, we sold everything we owned, moved overseas, and we've been living the expat life ever since. Stick around to hear about our travel experiences, both good and bad, our expat adventures, and everything in between. Welcome back to episode number 21. Yeah, so we have another guest with us here today, going back to our interviews of expats, and we would like to welcome our friend, Mr. Bill DeGrasso. Hi, everybody. How's it going, Bill? It's going good. It's a, it's a beautiful winter day here in the UAE, which means it's 70 degrees. Yeah, yeah. that's our favorite part of winter in the UAE. So we were hoping to do this interview face-to-face, but like everyone else in the world, COVID. So we're doing a remote interview. We're so thankful for technology and thankful that you're not that sick, Bill. Yeah, and was able to come and do this with us. So we've been trying to make this interview happen for a while, but with COVID and work schedules and travels and guests coming in, it's just been a bit hectic. And fortunately, we have caught you right before you leave the UAE. Like literally yeah. right before. <laughs> mm-hmm. Okay, so can you tell us just a bit about yourself? How did you end up as an expat? What made you want to leave the States? What, what happened? How did okay. you get here? Sure. I, I, ideally, my, my primary identify, identifier is I'm a New Yorker. I moved here from the city where I was a consultant, and the company I worked for um, had some opportunities over here for – my expertise, which is in emergency and continuity planning, so disaster relief and emergency planning and um, operations and simulation and so on. And so I uh, moved over here in 2013 full-time um, and worked with a lot of different clients and so on. Um, so that's that's kind of the how I ended up here. Um, the uh, I've worked with just my professional background. I've worked in a lot of complex private and public sector organizations, and in you know uh, several communities: Miami-Dade County, Florida, the City of New York, Washington D.C., kind of all over the country, the U.S. Anyway, um, doing emergency planning and in operations, and actually being involved in emergency operations. Uh, I used to work for the Federal Emergency Management Agency as well, and the and the local. Uh, Miami-Dade County Emergency Management, and that's the expertise that they wanted over here. Um, so, on the more uh, continue on the professional side, I actually will be a published professional author, including some research on emergency operations center simulations. And this spring, I'll be publishing a textbook about tropical weather comparisons between the U.S. and Bangladesh. Wow! Which I wrote with a colleague. That's impressive. And. Uh, yeah, you know it's a good opportunity when you when you got to when you got to, the chance to do it. Um, uh, personally, I've run about ten marathons. I still do a little running, not quite that heavy. Uh, my creative outlet is writing, and I want to shout out to my Abu Dhabi Writers Cafe group. Um, and like the two of you, I collect passport stamps. I love to travel, and probably the most expensive thing I have is my passport. <laughs> uh, That's a good way to look yeah, at it. Otherwise. I, yeah, you know, so there was a definite need for my expertise over here, and the consulting firm brought me over here, um, and that's how I kind of ended up here, and, uh, you know, there was just both a lot of benefits and a lot of challenges to both. Okay, so 
I, I didn't know some of that about you, so that's amazing. Nice to learn something new. Uh, we moved here in 2015, and I think we met you in either 2016 or 2017. I feel like it was 2016. I think it was, think it was 2015 because I think you guys came to my to my birthday party that our friend Emily put together. Quite possibly. Yeah, possibly. Yeah, gosh. I can't it's already been almost seven years. Crazy. Yeah. Okay, so... Before you had the job opportunity to move abroad, did it ever cross your mind that you might want to live somewhere other than the United States? Uh, yes and no. I, having lived in New York, you sort of feel like you have everything there, you know, but you have access to, you know, the diversity of people and cultures and everything else. So um, the thought had occurred to me, I think I was more thinking about Europe. Or maybe even South America. Um, but uh, when this came up as an opportunity, you know, I, I, it definitely got me out of my comfort zone, which was one of the benefits of coming over here. I mean, it's not that that drastic of a transition. You know, it wasn't like moving into something, you know, something completely different. You know, um, but it still was. You know, it's like anything else, you're you're uprooted yourself, taking all your stuff, and move someplace else, and have to get used to that that culture. Yeah, um, and and let's face it, the diversity of cultures here. There's a lot of cultures to get used to here. Yeah. Absolutely. And languages. Yeah. Um, okay, interesting. So what would you say, like, when you told people, your family, your friends, that you had decided to move to the Middle East, specifically to the UAE, what was the response? Where is that? Yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you know, and, uh, it, you know, so I just said, oh, it's Abu Dhabi, and that's the capital of the United Arab Emirates. Oh, is that Dubai? It's, that's part of the UAE, you know? Yeah. So it was a lot of, um, uh, there were a lot of questions like, you know, are you going to live in a compound and all these sorts of things that you're thinking about Saudi Arabia, you know? So it was just, um, I mean, I had to do that on my own research first. In fact, the, the company I was with, a company called Booz Allen Hamilton, they were very, they, they made me come over here twice first to make sure that I was comfortable coming over here. Permanently. Okay. No, that's, that's a great idea. Yeah. So it it really was, and I don't think a lot of expats who've come over here didn't have the benefit of that. So I saw it, I experienced it, the work was very interesting. And that was really what was, you know, what was most, because what the UAE was trying to do was build their emergency management capability, um, which they were developing, but they just needed, you know, more experienced hands. They don't have a lot of disasters here, whereas... The U.S. and other countries, we have them all the time. Yeah. So they needed that that level of expertise. Um, so yeah, it was that was kind of you know it was I was lucky to be able to come do that. Um, I got comfortable with it. You know, saw it, looked around, and that's what really made me decide yeah to just go ahead and do that and move over here permanently. All right. Yeah, because I mean, I guess the biggest disaster we have here is sandstorm and rain. Yeah, and I fog. Mean, and and fog, fog yeah. for sure. I don't know. Is the is the driving here considered a disaster? <laughs> <laughs> well, it's funny you mention that, Natalie, because some of the planning that I have to do when I was over here for the consulting firm and even for where I just left the, the Rob Dunn Academy was business continuity, including personnel protection. And that was one of our highest risks was where people were traveling to for business and were they driving or being driven. And we usually made sure that even though there's an added cost, that they were driven someplace because, you know, other countries, you know, obviously, I don't know if you've had the experience of driving in Saudi Arabia, but it's a little crazy. Yeah. Um, 
and you know it's a big megalopolis and in Riyadh and, and so on. So that was one of the biggest risks that I had to kind of prepare people for and make sure that they were ready for that. All right. That's so interesting. Yeah, I wouldn't have thought about, you know, you got to prepare people to drive in a different country. I mean, like I said, we drive here every day and you don't think yeah. twice about it now, but could you imagine being thrown in the middle of like Vietnam and be like, oh, today you yeah. got to drive from one side of Hanoi to the other. Or uh, we right. just returned from Egypt and the traffic in Cairo wow oh just, was it yeah I yeah. Imagine. yeah it was interesting but i would not have wanted to have driven there on my first visit um okay so you just left the role that you just left because you're moving back to the states you're repatriating yeah right so you just left the role at rob don academy what are you headed to in the united states okay well let me kind of summarize that and how i ended up there and then okay um then I'll talk to the, talk about the last the next part. So Rodan Academy, I found this place. It's only about six years old, six or seven years old. Um, I found it. Um, it's a college that offers degrees in safety, security, defense, emergency, and crisis management. And um, I found it as part of the research I was doing for for a bid we were doing at the, at the firm. And I said, well, gee, I could teach a lot of this curriculum because I've done a lot of it. So I sent in my resume and um, I was sort of the pracademic, the practical academic teaching undergraduate students, uh, not so much about theory, but the actual practice, how do we do this stuff, right? And so I sent them my resume, just say, hey, if you need guest lecturers. And I went over there and did a couple guest lectures and then they made me an offer and it just, it was such a good offer and a good opportunity and I said, okay. And so I, I moved over to probably for people in our careers, a little early for academia. Usually it's till, you know, when you've actually retired, but, um, but it was a good opportunity. It was sort of a startup. I mean, they'd only been there for a year and the students actually, you know, the benefit to me was the fact that when I was a consultant here, I was traveling a lot. So I actually didn't get to see a lot of the UAE or Abu Dhabi and see the, the non-tourist areas, you know. Um, but so through the eyes of my students and, you know, being here more often, I was able to do that. So I traveled all seven of the Emirates, you know, talked to my students about what, you know, uh, kind of, the, I mean, because some of our guys, or our students, excuse me, you know, they live very, very rural parts of the country as well as the, the very urban so you get their perspective. I mean, I had students that literally were taking care of livestock and coming to college, you know, so it was yeah. a little more, it was much more of a learning experience for me. Um, and so the things I was teaching them about was, you know, disaster response and disaster relief and infrastructure protection and how to, you know, do how to practice and, you know, simulations and then emergency operations center management. And also as part of the academy staff, I, uh, did some consulting with the the food the, the food safety and security agencies here too and so that was really interesting so i got to kind of merge both those things um and you know the, so i'm ending my i ended my academic career in december and now heading back to the u.s um it's kind of nice because i actually decided to just sort of take a break so i had you know guests come over while i was still here and got to see the expo and see more of the, the country a little bit through, you know, the eyes of my, my guests and so on. 
And um, so kind of going home to reconnect with my my parents and family and friends and so on. And um, I'll probably be, in terms of what's coming up next, um, try to look at doing, uh, getting more back into the uh, emergency management planning and, and operations for kind of large scale organizations. Um, and kind of looking in that direction, so taking a combination. And I'd like to continue teaching as well. That sounds wonderful. I do think, you know, I'm not teaching now, but I did teach for 11 years. I think that um, it gives you such a different perspective. Going back into your field now, you probably have a lot to add that you maybe maybe you didn't have before. So that's fantastic that you're able to combine what you've learned from your past experiences. And uh, it's also great that you've been able to that you are able to take some take some time, yeah. Spend time with family since you've been away for quite some time. So it'll be great to go back and reconnect. Yeah, because I don't know how you guys have done it, but I mean, in previous careers, it's been you know sign off on you know here's here's all my transition stuff, and then you know close that door, open this one, and yeah. you're walking to the next. You know, it with really not much transition time. Yeah. It's the first time a long time I've been able to have at least a little transition time. So, um, yeah, so I'm looking forward to that. And I can also do a little more. And the other, hopefully, the next part of my career might be also kind of using that creative writing piece, maybe use, do that do that as a as a living too. Yeah, why not? Yeah, because yeah, like you said, you know, normally when you, you start or you swap jobs or change careers or nothing, something like that, you've got like 15 minutes to start, to end one, to start another one. <laughs> And, yeah, and takes, there's no you know, time for reflection or like thinking about where you want to be or taking time just to process your emotions of leaving one job, moving to another. So that's excellent that you do have some time. Yeah, that's absolutely amazing that you want to take some time and just kind of regroup and, you know, see where you want to, you know, go next in life. Yeah. Yeah. Um, okay, so let's talk more about expat life in general. So what would you say are some of the greatest benefits that you've experienced being an expat? Yeah. Well, I mentioned before about kind of getting out of the comfort zone on a lot of different things. And I think I'm at the point now where having gone through this process and, and, and also traveling a lot both for work and for pleasure, that I'm very comfortable living overseas again. So, I mean, if this is something that I eventually do again, you know, ready for it. Uh, I've got the checklist of here's you know, visa process and here's this, here's that. And I, you know, like I said, things here are a little more, you know, uh, procedurally set up and the infrastructure is good, but, um, you know, I'm ready for that. And that's good. That was good. And uh, this is sort of a, a fun thing, but when you read someone's travel blog, you can comment on it and say, yeah, I remember this place. Yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> because this is such, as you guys know, because I think this is kind of the basis of our of our friendship is that, you know, we're, you know, it's a great travel hub. And, yeah. you know, five, five hours in any direction on a direct flight, you can be in three different continents and 20 different countries, you know. And Amazing. Even if it's just for a short period of time. I mean, you guys were just in Egypt, right? Correct. Yeah. 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 Yeah, there's nothing like um, like being within, like you said, within an airport where you can go jump on a plane and then like, all right, we got a four day weekend. Let's go jump on a plane and see where we can end yeah. up. Yeah, you know, and uh, so that that's that's kind of the you know, and I've been fortunate enough to have a generous leave time to be able to use it, and you know, both in the consulting firm and then obviously in the summers as a teacher. So you know, it's it's a, you can kind of start out. You know, you you your trip is 
easier to plan and you have more time to do you know what you really are interested in doing because you don't have to travel so far yeah um so that's one thing or two things the, the third thing and is universal access to healthcare. i mean you know my experience with covid uh, just as the as the new year started um you know i had guests here that were we tested on january 1st before they were traveling on january 2nd all negative so we must have been asymptomatic and we had been at the expo in different places and you know lots of different tourist places um january 3rd i'm going actually to get my you know my my booster shot and you know they called me and said hey we just tested positive for covid and i was positive by the next morning i had my test and then you know the way that the uae has set this up i mean this couldn't happen in a better place you go there the assessment center you have five different tests chest x-ray, a CT scan, you know, blood test, uh, uh, the PCR swab again, even a, even a, uh, 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 electrons, uh, cardiogram. And then they did determine if you have any risk factors, then they give you the monoclonal antibodies and a handful of, um, antiviral drugs. And they put the watch on your hand and they send you out. Um, and even if you don't have the ability to, uh, quarantine at home they will isolate you which is you know again it sounds very you know insidious but at the same time it's going to get you better faster and put you back into the workforce and for someone like me you know having kind of been that transition period i didn't have to worry about that but there were workers around me at the exit at the intake center that you know were hospitality workers security guards you know a range of blue collar workers and they were taking care of them as well as they were taking care of me. So, you know, I, I of all the places this could have happened, it was good that it happened here. Um, uh, so that universal access to healthcare, even, you know, the security guards at Robdown Academy, if they're sick, they get taken care of, you know. So that's one thing that was a big benefit. Um, you know, the other, the next one really is kind of the diversity of people. I mean, think about, uh, everybody that was in your travel group or I think the, the Hash House Harrier group here in Abu Dhabi, my writing group. I mean, we got people from all over the place, all over the planet, you know, and they're all right here. And we have that common Abu Dhabi or UAE experience. And then we kind of bring each other's culture into things. And um, that's been a big, big plus uh, because it really made me feel like I was back in New York because we have that same, you know, kind of access to those cultural differences. So, you know, and, and I won't lie, compensation was <laughs> good, you know, at the beginning. And the other thing is, and I don't think anyone, I'm not sure anyone else thinks about this, but this is, I mean, this was a big trading port. Yeah. So the fruits and vegetables you got coming in from all over the world, and, you know, you, you know, like at me, I'm a big, like, human. I eat watermelon until it comes out of my ears. And if you can eat that year round, <laughs> it's, yeah. it's marvelous, you know? So, you know, they're just, this place is so perfectly positioned and they have a very good strategy and they leverage it and they leverage their oil income and they diversify their economy. And there's just a lot of things going on here that um, really big benefits to be part of the expat. And they do make you feel welcome. I mean, you're going to work, but 
they do make you feel welcome. Yeah, they do yeah. make you feel very it's a, welcome. It's a fantastic place to live. We've been so happy here. And it's nice to talk to another expat who feels the same way. Yeah, and I think we agree with everything you said about the benefits. Um, obviously, yeah, the travel is a huge one for us. And the health care. Do you know, I've, we're the type of people we don't go to the doctor unless we absolutely have to go. But with COVID, I've really appreciated the healthcare system more here. Um, even just the access and the affordability of P- regular PCR testing, how COVID has been handled overall. Um, you know, our friends in the States, they you know, they having to make appointments weeks in advance to try to get a PCR test. And, you know, by that time, it's almost too late for them to be tested if they're sick yeah. at the moment. So I, that's something that it, throughout the last two years, we've really come to appreciate a lot more. Yeah. And, so thank you, know, you for bringing that up. And the way they rolled out the vaccine here, I mean, mm-hmm. it was no problem to get the vaccine. I mean, you just walked up, gave them your, your ID, and then 10 minutes later, you were leaving. And I mean, it was nothing right. to it. And, yeah. you know, and there's still states in the U.S. that are struggling to even get, yeah. you know, the second shot. Yeah, we're very, very fortunate yeah. here. Um, and, very then, much of it. and see, from an emergency management standpoint, my career, it was, you know, I'm watching what they're doing. And, uh, uh, you know, January or sorry, June of 2019, I ran a simulation in, uh, in one of my classes where I used the SARS outbreak from 2006 in Canada and said, just reversed it. And, and we used, well, there's a SARS outbreak at the expo. That was a scenario we used in class. And I told my students all along, I said, public health emergencies are absolutely going to be the worst thing you're ever going to deal with because by the time you realize what's happening, you're behind. Yep. You know, you're just trying to keep up with it. Um, and I had a student who's now working in you know one of the government ministries, and he sent me an email saying, I thought about that every day because my job includes all the, all the, the COVID um, planning. And he said, you were right, <laughs> you know, yeah. and, uh, and, and I hate to say that I forecasted this. I, I don't want to claim that, but, you know, I told him, I said, this is really seriously going to be the one thing that will take so much of your time. And I think so watching how the UAE has done this and done it well. Um, and I mean, when you think about it, we still have the Formula One race. The Expo has been hosted. There's other things that have been going on. You know, um, so they are managing and, you know, even with this, this recent, uh, spike, but they're still doing it and they're still making it a safe place for people to be. Yeah. Yeah. A lot of people I know are really sick of the regulations and the restrictions. And I get that. We all want to go back to how it was pre COVID. However, I'm really appreciative of, uh, you know, them enforcing the rule of wearing masks and social distancing and limiting numbers. Uh, inside buildings and inside restaurants it makes me feel a lot yeah. safer going out yeah they definitely and, got your your best interest at heart you know when it comes down to it because they don't want yeah. you to get sick and then also like currently yeah. schools are online uh and the majority of teaching is being done online um which is i know frustrating for parents who are working and they're in the office and their kids have to be at home um however i think that the uae government is really doing the absolute best to protect their citizens yeah and well, we're to, appreciative uh, of yeah, that. To take care of all of us, you know, regardless, yeah. you know, which social class you're from, they're doing, they're treating everybody the same across the board, which means a lot. Yeah. yeah. All right. Okay. Well, on to 
um, a bit of a lighter subject. Can you tell us about some of the um, some of the challenges you face in the UAE that are really not like big challenges, like inconveniences, like something that for me there are just some things here, and I'm like, why is this a problem? I don't understand. <laughs> like your your country is so advanced, why can we not make this happen? So, do you have any of those little pet peeves as an expat? I, this is going to sound silly, but you know what? You can walk into a an English grocery store, you know, and you buy hamburger buns that are not sliced. And yeah. I don't know why, but I suddenly went. All right, you had hamburger buns. That's great, but you didn't slice them. You know, yeah. just yeah. little things like that. Um, I will say one thing though. It, they. Um, <laughs> The urban planning and the construction noise are two things that literally have just never have just astounded me. I, I you know, you and you you live on Rheem Island now, and I used to live there as well. And for the the listeners, that's sort of a a, a residential based island where they're kind of kind of building it up, very similar to I'd say about Midtown Manhattan. You know, there's a lot of high rises and, and so on. Um, if you can picture that, and um, or if you want to use a better analogy, probably like, you know, mid Miami beach. And, um, it just like, I moved into this one apartment and it was one of the best apartments I've ever had. Hang on, just sorry. The whole place surrounded by construction. And I could just never figure out like, you know, how, why did you decide to, to just, why don't you just finish the buildings and then give them the occupancy? You know, that kind of thing, or sort of complete sections of it. Um, and everywhere I went, including where I live now, it's still a, it's still a challenge. And they don't, you know, they, for again, to, the, to, your, to our listeners here, um, you know, it can, they basically work every day except for Fridays, which now I guess, will, well, no, I guess maybe they'll still give the construction workers Fridays off um, or maybe Saturdays now that they've changed everything. But it's only one day a week, and you know when you don't have, when you're not sitting in your apartment or on your balcony listening to the construction. Yeah. Um, that's one small pet peeve. Um, we agree with that one. As we have construction across the street from us, and it is non nonstop. It's twenty four seven. Yeah. Yeah. You know, um, the uh, the other thing that I've noticed too is that um, there's a there's a very direct demonstration of the sophistication of this uh, of the UAE by a lot of uh, uh, water features, fountains, and things like that, and I understand the the, the the importance of that. But in a in a in a society that has to desalinate water, you know, to produce drinking water, it, it seems to me to be a little bit much. Um, uh, the only other thing I think is just something more that I've observed, both as a consultant and as a teacher. Um, we, we need to be better. And then this is kind of both expats and, and, uh, and, uh, Emirati management, the management style is very hierarchical and, you know, there's a lot of Westerners that, you know, we understand it, but we're not really used to that. We're much more kind of bottom up, you know, the, the frontline employee kind of managing up. Cause that's the way I basically, I worked in hotels as well as as a consultant. A lot of that's very much bottom up management. Um, and I'm used to having a little bit more, little less, little more autonomy and things like that. And it's just a matter of trying to figure out the right balance 
and not getting too, you know, um, put off by the hierarchical nature and seeing some of the benefits of that, uh, but also kind of getting the hierarchy understand, hey, you know, we got this, we can manage, do we don't need constant, you know, supervision and so on. So it's just leveraging each other's culture with the workplace, definitely something that, uh, I mean, we it's been productive. And there's no question about that. I mean, look what's around us. Right. But um, at the same time, I think that that was something that was uh, sometimes a, more of a culture class than some of the people, you know, than, than, than uh, you know, the, 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 the things that we would think of, you know, kind of the, the difference between Muslims and non-Muslims, things like that, yeah. which we all kind of, you know, we kind of accept and just go with. But the workplace sometimes, that's the thing. And um, the, the other thing is just so much is last minute scheduling. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> and, um, we were just talking know, about this like, yesterday. Oh, by tomorrow, we're going to revamp the entire curriculum. Okay. <laughs> and and it will happen. It just It's just done. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, we get deadlines. Yeah. Sometimes we get emails. Well, I work um, in the government as in the government education, and sometimes we get emails, and the deadline is before the email was sent. And I'm like, yeah. well, okay, <laughs> like I guess retroactively we'll make this happen. But yeah. even uh, even things here like communication about events and uh, exciting things that are going yeah. on, you don't know about them until they've already happened. Yeah, you miss it. And you're, you're like, oh, like I would have loved to go to that. And they're like, oh, it's free. Why didn't you come? It's like, yeah. Nobody even advertised. So yeah, last minute communication. Yeah. 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 It's funny. And I'm, I'm kind of experiencing it. I'm sorry to cut you off, Natalie. Uh, with trying to close out my apartment and my water bill or the electricity and, and my telephone because they won't let you you know schedule it they little you literally have i'm gonna have to call them from the airport and cancel my phone i mean this is almost the way that they've set it up i can't say okay on you know the day after i leave shut off the phone the internet and you know and shut off the electricity you know it's it's all very and i i understand they have a policy and they have reasons for doing it but it's just it's like if you if i'm giving you six weeks notice that i'm going to shut everything off why can't you just program that into the system and so there are just things like that 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 sort of little pet peeve yeah i agree especially if you're from the states where or wherever you're from you're used to that system and so when you come here you're like whoa like this is not how it should be done but it's how they've done it and it works for them so it can be very frustrating Uh, now have you faced any other challenges as an expat like on a bit of a deeper level like i know some for a lot of people, when they first become expats, where wherever they may be, they go through a lot of uh, maybe like loneliness or having difficulty connecting with others, or maybe the workplace is such a challenge because of the culture that they really struggle. Did you face anything like that? Not too much. I mean, I I had the distance from loved ones, even with modern technology. I had those issues, um, but it was interesting because. Um, when I was a consultant, you had that whole kind of work group, you know, and you had that that relationship. And then, you know, we, uh, you and I have a mutual friend, Emily Emily Hunt, um, who sort of merged her two worlds, you know, between the the, the travel group and the hash, the hash and and work. And she was very good at bringing people together from different places. Um, and then when I when I moved over to teaching college. I still had all those workplace people from Booz Allen that I could now just have fun with. Mm-hmm. So you sort of had a lot of different groups. And then when I joined the um, the writers group, 
you know, that opened a lot of doors. Um, so I can see very easily how you could get isolated. And there's been times where I've wanted to be, because, you know, again, mainly what I'm looking at doing with my writing or if I'm doing research or, you know, when the first couple months at, at the college, we were literally writing curriculum as we went, um, uh, or rewriting, you know, and that kind of thing. And that you were sort of isolated from everybody but that way. But I didn't really experience that. I was able to manage that. And I think this is where social media has helped in kind of keeping expats in contact. Mm -hmm. uh, but you do have to work at it. Yeah. Uh, you do. And if you, you could very easily just, you know, come back, close your door, you know, just not bother. But if you get out there and you look for it, you'll find, I mean, you know, you can just get out of the Starbucks and run to a couple of English speakers and suddenly you've got, you know, two buddies to go travel with, yeah. yep. you know. We found the same is that um, we didn't really face that challenge of being able to find groups and make friends, but we also worked really hard at that. So I think you do have to be proactive and seek out opportunities, whether it's going to a coffee shop or going to a meetup group or a writing group, a running group, whatever it is. But because so many, almost everybody here is an expat, there's always something going on and people are very welcoming. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah. And if you're not willing to, you know, put yourself out there, I feel sorry for you, especially if you go back home and just sit. That would just, I, I yeah. just couldn't do that. I couldn't do that either. But, you know, every. Everybody likes different things, I suppose. So, okay. Um, now, for most people who are listening, maybe they're in America, um, they think of the UAE as being like over the top for everything, right? Like it's well known, like, you know, the pictures of, I don't even know, le leopards on a leash walking around Dubai. <laughs> you know, something right. that we know that's yeah. not usually the case. What is the most like extreme UAE thing that you've ever experienced? Probably brunch. Oh. Um, uh, the first, the first real brunch I went to was out at the Palm Jumeirah, out at the uh, I forget the name of the big hotel out there. The Atlantis, maybe uh, or the Atlantis. Yeah, and oh, that was. I know the brunch you're talking about. Yeah, it was. <laughs> it was about what would be the equivalent of about I think two hundred and fifty dollars U.S. and it just. I was, it was within a couple months of being here and it just was over the top. I mean, everything was just, you know, just, I mean, there's the lobster club bar and there's the steak place and there's, you know, someone walking around with every brand of alcohol you could possibly want. And, you know, oh no, would you like more of this? And, you know, it was just, just wretched excess. What was that? And I think, um, the, you know, there are certain parts of the, that's what I mean, and that's part of their the UAE's overall strategy is to give a tourist sort of that glitz and glamour. I mean, when you think about it, if you're uh, if you live in the UK, you can fly to Miami in eight hours, or you can fly to the UAE in seven. Yeah, and the the pound is going to be the same because the dollar and the UAE Durham are are, are pegged to each other. So your dollar would probably go farther. It's closer. And, you know, in the wintertime, you know, it's, it's probably going to be, you know, uh, more attractive to be here. It actually would be warmer than Florida having lived there, too. Um, so they have had to develop that tourist economy and that tourist approach. Um, you know, and everything's got to be bigger. The Burj Khalifa's got to be bigger. And the hotel's got to be six stars. And 
you know, this is what they're, this is definitely something that they're, they're cultivating. Um, the good thing about it is, and this is, I think I have to testament to my students, is that they would invite me to go see where they live. You know, so I get to LA and the Western region and Rosalcaima and you get to like, I, <laughs> I went out for tea, just carrot tea with a former student of mine. You know, we're sitting in his car, he honks. As, as as they do, and the guy comes out and brings you tea, and it's three germs. Yeah. And yeah. we're sitting there just having a chat and, and catching up, and you know, solving all the world's problems, and in, in you know, the front seat of his car, you know, and that kind of thing. And so you you get to, I got to see that too, but uh, but yeah, just to sum up, brunch and construction, those are the two things that yeah. are just okay. over the top. I believe it. We have a whole episode about brunch and Abu, or specifically Abu Dhabi, a little bit of the UAE. But I remember. You do know, in fact, it, you guys were spot on on so many of those. <laughs> it's so funny. But, you know, I think like that scene that you're describing with like the lobster claw bar and like just the excess of everything, it reminds me of um, in the Hunger Games. You know, in like the <laughs> District 12 yes. where they're like everything's just over the top. And like here – have this pill so you can throw up everything and eat some more. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Like that's what it triggers in my mind. Uh, Oh yeah. I mean, we, we do love a good brunch to be fair. Yeah, Yeah. absolutely. Um, Is that something that you'll miss when you go back to the States? Yeah. That'll be a little culture shocky. You know, just wait, wait, this is just one plate of food. Yeah. It's not unlimited. Where's the champagne? This is the only drink. Yeah. This is the only drink I get. (laughs) Yeah. Right. You know, so it's like, yeah, uh, okay. You know, but, uh, but yeah, that, I, you know, it's funny. Someone asked me, my two guests that were here uh, not long ago, <clears throat> they asked me what I'm going to miss. And believe it or not, I'm going to miss the call to prayer Yeah, because I can yeah. hear it pretty clearly from the balcony and it doesn't, you know, I mean, I'm obviously not a, not a Muslim believer, um, but it is kind of a, uh, an interesting, you take, you can take the, during the day, there's five times to basically stop and do your prayers in your, in your belief system or just meditate. Mm-hmm. And it's a nice break. And I, I see, you know, like the people I worked with, you know, they would take that break in, in, in prayers. And the rest of us would just kind of ease off what we were doing and, you know, go up and you know, take a walk around the building or just go get a cup of coffee or something. And But even the sound of it, in fact, there's a, for the listeners, there's a place called Hudriyat Island, which is out. Um, it's a big kind of a um, sports complex, a big running track and a race, a bike racing track and sports fields. And, but it's on the edge of the side, other side of Aladali Island. And when you're out there at night, the last call to prayer, and you just hear this coming across the city, it's beautiful. Um, and it's just sort of a plus the, 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 the emergency manager in me also gets sparked by that because it's one recording and it's a common shared um, sound system. So it all pretty much sounds the same. It's not different, but from an emergency management standpoint, that's a great alert warning system. (laughs) I guess. Yeah, that is true. I didn't think about that. Uh, Is there anything else that you're really going to miss from Abu Dhabi when you go back to the States? Um, hmm. Well, the winter weather, yeah, the, oh, the, yeah. The, the, the spring and winter. Um, uh, yeah, and probably just like this, uh, the transportation hub, the ability to just kind of sit and go 
think I'll go to India today. Yeah. Um, yeah. So. Okay. And then what are you looking forward to about being back in the States? Oh, I mean, obviously your family comes your friends, but what else are you looking forward to? Yeah. Just kind of getting home and, and get, you know what? The main thing is, is, I mean, we see so much of what's going on at home and it's through the, the lens of whatever media you're watching. Um, and, you know, and there's going to be a lot of stuff to do. I mean, let's face it, you know, the, the Constitution starts with a phrase in order to form a more perfect union, and we will always be moving, and we're always going to have to work towards that. Um, but it'll be nice to be home. Um, <laughs> um, it won't be nice to have to pay taxes <laughs> or not get the, uh, the, uh, the, uh, the overseas tax credit. But, uh, um, eh, yeah, you know, it, it'll be nice to be in the t- time zone to be able to watch football. Um you know, kind of those, 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 just the things you're used to having around, um, sorts of things. There will be some culture shock. I'm sure I, I went home in July and there's a little bit of that. Um, it'll also be a little culture shocky. I, yeah. I think you guys talked about this in one of your podcasts about the kind of questions you get when you go home. Mm-hmm. And so that'll be for the first couple of months, it'll be a lot like that. But, but then it's such an advantage because when you're looking for work and you can say, I've had an international experience, I can compare, you know, look at, you know, what other people do and how they do it. You know, that's yeah. also kind of a big benefit too. Absolutely. I think international experience on your resume is fantastic. Yeah. It also kind of be nice to see, you know, kind of the, um, uh, probably a little bit more what i'd say a little bit more transparency and kind of get used to you know our uh our form of media and um you know just the forms of media that we are used to at home and um (laughs) i uh i am looking forward to just like next summer just putting my feet in the grass in central park yeah Yeah. that would be really amazing all right all right, so let's shift gears and talk about. Sure. So one of the greatest benefits of living here is being able to travel more frequently to um, numerous places. So can you tell us some of your favorite places that you visited? Just not a lot of detail about them, but just like maybe like your top five places that you visited from the UAE that you really loved. Sure. Uh, Maldives was unbelievable i mean probably the cleanest environment i've ever set foot in and i know that a lot of that is you know it's it's a resort lifestyle uh, but it's close it was i think i didn't wear shoes for the entire time i was there um, nice. just stunning colors that are so vivid in your mind um johannesburg and cape town south africa were uh incredible both of them have kind of a johan joint joburg and and you go to the Soweto um, township and, you know, and then Cape Town and some of the, there's a township called Langan, which is outside of um, Cape Town. And I met some amazing, they're basically building as an artist colony. And there's an artist that I met there and he and I, are, in fact, his wife and I were going to write an article together, a uh, 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 journal article together. Uh, you know, I still stay in touch with him and things like that. And so uh, those two, I would say, um, the safari I did there's a place called Governor's Camp in Kenya um, which you know as far as a kind of a glamping experience but this was the 
that's probably number one, and I'll tell you why. The, the experience was without a phone, a computer, or a screen for a week, except for your camera. It was just, it was complete detachment. You're in the animal's kingdom. You're playing by their rule. We had to get up early so we could get out to see the leopards or get up, stay out for a bit, you know, just before sunset to see, you know, the, you know, the, the water buffalo. I at one point couldn't go to dinner <laughs> because I had to wait for, you know, a water buffalo to pass by the cabin, you know, <laughs> just, you know, and you just, in fact, I was being escorted by a guy with a rifle, and all of a sudden he drops the rifle and he stops, and he, I'm a shoulder, a step behind him. I stop. And he goes, well, "What is it?" He goes, "It's a water buffalo. We'll take the long way around." I'm like, "Okay, <laughs> I'm with you." <laughs> you know, and you're sitting there, and all of a sudden there's a giraffe just picking fruit up the tree. You know, when you're sitting there having lunch, and it, it was just that kind of, and and again, that's. Six and a half hours to Nairobi and two hours from Nairobi to to the Maasai Mara. And, you know, it's just those kind of experiences that um, that and I think probably another good experience was I took a long weekend and went to Milan. And it was they had just decorated everything for Christmas. And the central part of Milan is, you know, kind of the old the old city. It was beautiful. It was stunning. I mean, I just went there by myself and just. I went to the the, the Leonardo um, Museum and saw the the Last Supper, and went around the museum and every all the other places for art, and, you know, and it guided and unguided, and it was great. And um, so those kind of places, and I usually go to the non-touristy parts of places, so I kind of avoid the overrated spots. Um, but uh, but I'd say those four would probably stick in my mind the most. They all sound incredible. We we have not done safari yet. and It's always on have, the list. It's like, you know, maybe this year we'll do it. And then we just don't want to do it until we have the time and, to, yeah, to do it, do it and the right. resources to do it, to do a really, really good one like you did, where you have someone that you can completely trust to lead you around water buffalo in a very safe manner. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. Okay, so throughout your travels, is there any place that you've been that you just thought was completely underrated? Like nobody else really talks about it or they just kind of like, ah, it's just okay, that you just thought was fantastic? Johannesburg, by far. Um, people just think that's just the capital, but there's so much to do there. Um, they have a burgeoning fashion industry. Um, they're trying to build a, um, a uh, uh, like a Silicon Valley type thing in um, the history that you can see there, uh, um, it that definitely was definitely an underrated. You know, because people go to Cape Town or they go to Durban because of the, right. either side of the coast. Um, hmm, that I think probably would be the one underrated. Um, and then, yeah, the opposite of that. Is there anywhere that you've been that you found highly overrated? Uh I mean, I try to avoid the touristy spots, so I can't really put my finger on one. Um, I I know. Let me put it this way. Uh, let me just put this through, through the eyes of somebody else or a couple of people. Dubai is a little overrated, <laughs> um, but from from the from someone else's perspective. But but uh, they said, yeah, this is a little bit like Las Vegas, and I said, 
Yeah, but you got to scratch the surface and then look at the other, the souk and the yeah. other more historical parts of it too. Um, but yeah, per se, I can't, because like I usually, like I said, I usually avoid the tourist places. So We feel the same that we try, if somebody says, oh, like you have to go do this main tourist attraction. I'm like, yeah, I'm we'll go the other yeah, way. Yeah, I cannot think of anything I would rather do less. <laughs> um, yeah, yeah. Yeah, I agree. Yeah. So, um, Oh, you know what? I'll share one more with you. If you guys ever get to Rome and you go to, there's a tour of the tomb of St. Peter um, and it's below the, uh, the Basilica. And it is one of the best, very, not many people know about it. You got to look it up. It's called the Scavi tour. And you're, it's led by a, um, a priest who's also a historian and it's led in several different languages. So you get it. It's like no more than about seven people plus the tour guide. And you go through all underneath the catacombs, just below the, 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 uh, the, the, um, um, the, the, cause the Basilica, and then you end up on the floor. Now, if you double that up with, you could do a tour of the, the, the dome of St. Peter's Basilica, and then you end up on, the rooftop overlooking the St. Peter's Square, where the Pope does his, his masses, and you're not going to believe me, but it's true. They have a coffee shop up there, <laughs> and you could sit and have an espresso and look out behind those statues. No one knows you're there, and I mean they have tables with umbrellas. The only thing they're missing is a pool with towels. <laughs> I mean literally, and it's not very well known, and you. Uh, you have to kind of get used to being inside the cupola because it's a little claustrophobic, but it's an amazing view okay. and it's not very expensive. And it's one of the things that if you're in Rome, you can skip a lot of the others. You know, the Vatican Museum is nice, but this is just really very instructional from a historical perspective. So that's a that's a fun one. All right. We're yeah, adding that, that sounds, to the list. Yeah, that sounds absolutely amazing. Yeah. yeah. All right. Well, I'm sure that once you're back in the States that you'll also be able to travel within the U.S. because there is so much to see there. Um, some overrated places by far and some highly <laughs> underrated places. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. So, well, thank you so much for joining us, Bill. And we're excited to see where you end up in the States, the writings that you're going to have published soon. Can't wait to keep up with you. Absolutely. And I will definitely check in back in. I could be your foreign correspondent. Absolutely. That'd be fantastic. But we will miss you ha having you here in Abu Dhabi for definitely. sure. I will miss you guys as well. So uh, thanks. Take care. And all uh, as we always say in emergency management, we'll see you soon. All right. <laughs> Thank you so much, Bill. Thank you a lot, sir. See y'all. Bye. Bye-bye. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, share it on social media, give us a rating and leave a review. These really help us. Follow and connect with us on Instagram at Our Wayward Life and reach out to us with any questions either through social media or email at ourwaywardlife at gmail.com. Thanks again and we'll see you next time.